Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to Leviticus chapter 5. Leviticus chapter 5 and beginning our reading at verse 14. And you'll find this in the church Bibles on page 84. And we'll be reading into chapter 6 and down to the end of verse 7. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock valued in silver shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him uh, with the ram of the guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent, for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him, for the mistake that he has made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or he has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any or of all the things that people do, and sin thereby. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was uh, committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do, and thereby become guilty. <clears throat> We have been uh, looking at uh, the various types of offerings in uh, the Old Testament period. Uh, we have been looking at uh, these different kinds of sacrifices that the people of God offered up in the Old Testament. And later on in Leviticus, we'll read about different occasions in which offerings were being made. But it's striking that as we begin to look at all of these different kinds of offerings, uh, to be wondering to ourselves, what were they all meant to do? 
And hopefully, as we've been looking at some of these offerings in Leviticus, you notice that they are teaching, uh, they are communicating realities that are distinct. That's interesting in a number of levels. Uh, One, even in terms of comparing uh, what we know uh, with other ancient religions. Uh, We know that uh, worshippers of Baal offered up sacrifices as well. Uh, But we don't see any evidence in the ancient Near East religions uh, religions about any categorization for how different sacrifices were meant for different reasons or were meant uh, to be distinct, uh, to teach the people different truths. But rather they were simply offered up in order to attain a means to an end. But as we come to look at these uh, offerings in the Old Testament period, they are used at appropriate times to communicate to the people how they could relate with the living God. What were they to understand about themselves? And what were they to understand about the God who has revealed himself and has bound himself to them in a covenant? We've already looked at some of the offerings. One of them was uh, the whole burnt offering, or what we call the ascension offering. And that offering... Uh, is the most basic offering. It is an offering that teaches the costliness of sin and how death is the end of sin. Uh, In the whole burnt offering, the whole animal uh, was consumed and it was consecrated to the Lord. Uh, It taught something of the severity of sin and the need for atonement. But there were other offerings. We looked at, for instance, the grain offering. The grain offering communicated the worth of God. Uh, it, was a, it was a way of expressing and communicating that God is worthy of our gifts. And it was a plea that God would remember them with favor. And so this was a, a, a daily offering. It was something that was regularly offered up. Another offering was what we called the peace offering or the fellowship offering. An offering that was meant to celebrate Uh, peace and fellowship with the living God. They were in communion with God. And that relationship itself is something to celebrate. But then we started looking at last time uh, offerings that were with respect to specific situations that arose. Um, We were looking at offerings that were required, um, not simply voluntarily given but that were required by God when the people had sinned. And we call that the sin offering, uh, or sometimes it's called the purification offering. And what that offering was teaching the people is, is that sin defiles us. Sin makes us unclean. Sin uh, is something of a problem because it makes us unfit to come into God's presence. And so through the purification offering, the people were learning the truth to confess, I am unclean. There is something wrong with me and I need to be washed. And so in order to approach God, they needed to be purified. That's a truth that we are all to learn as well. Uh, The sacrifices have been fulfilled in Christ, but even as we gather, we too have to come to the conclusion that we are unclean that we need to be washed if we are to be made right in God's sight, that we need to be washed ultimately in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this evening we want to look at a fifth kind of offering, 
Uh, it is, uh, in our Bibles, described as the guilt offering. Uh, and it is uh, another kind of offering. And we want to be able to uh, 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 appreciate how this offering had its place in the people of God as well. This offering, like all the other offerings, uh, goes by various names. Um, in the King James, it's referred to as the trespass offering. Uh, in our Bibles here this evening, it is referred to as the guilt offering. And the reason for that is the word, the key word that keeps coming up, is a word that can be translated as trespass uh, or as guilt. Uh, the challenge with describing this as a guilt offering, though, is because we're trying to understand how do these different offerings relate to one another. Is there anything different about this offering than what was just described in the previous chapter? How is this offering different than the sin offering? Uh, if they're both dealing with sin, if they're both dealing with defilement. And so it can be helpful to just step back and to ask the question, what is this offering doing? And when we ask that question, we learn that this word for guilt uh, can mean a guilt offering, but it can also be translated or it can also mean to make compensation. That what this offering is talking about is repairing something that has been broken, to make amends. And so whereas the previous offering was making the people realize something about themselves, I am unclean, I have dirty hands, I am impure in my heart. The people were to understand they are defiled. This offering is communicating something of God's justice, that God must be satisfied, that God has been offended, and now amends must take place in order for God to be satisfied. And that's what this offering is all about. How does one make things right when one has done what is wrong? And so this evening we want to think about uh, the guilt offering uh, and we want to see how uh, because payment is needed for sin, uh, we are to look to the Lord's provision for forgiveness. But the relationship of those words, trespass, guilt, and compensation, they're, they're very, very close. And whether you call this a trespass offering or a guilt offering or a reparation offering, the point is, is that you're seeing guilt requires payment. And those two ideas come together uh, like a zipper. You see that there in verse 15. It says, if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things uh, of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation. There's that word. He shall bring to the Lord as his payment. He shall bring to the Lord as his due to make amends. And then you read on at the end of the verse, and it says, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. So those two words, a guilt offering and compensation, are found even in this one verse. The two ideas uh, complement one another. And so we want to be able to appreciate uh, this offering as a necessary payment for wrongdoing, uh, how to make things right in order to satisfy God uh, with a payment. 
we want to think about uh, this offering then in three thoughts. We want to think about the problem of our guilt. We want to think about the payment of the offering and then the purpose for the forgiveness of sins. Well, first, there is the problem. The problem is described uh, in different situations. In the second half of chapter 5, it is talking about unintentional scenarios, unintentional sins. Whereas when we come to chapter 6, it is talking about intentional scenarios. But in both of these cases, we're talking about a situation where guilt arises. As with uh, the purification offering, uh, so it deals here even with issues that are done unintentionally, or we would say by mistake, uh, an error has happened. Sometimes we, we excuse ourselves when we do something, don't we? We'll, we'll say it was a mistake. Uh, and sometimes by simply saying the words, it was a mistake, we might try to excuse ourselves from any responsibility. But even when we do things by mistake, uh, there is still a consequence to them. And the book of Leviticus is telling us that we're responsible for things even when it was by mistake. Uh, that ignorance of the law, as we looked at last time, does not exempt one from the, the accountability to the law. And here that is being highlighted again. So simply saying, I didn't mean to, doesn't necessarily remove uh, responsibility. But it goes on and it says, if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally, that word breach of faith is any act of disloyalty. Um, it is a serious act of unfaithfulness. Uh, to appreciate that idea, it is the same word that is used later when a spouse uh, becomes suspicious that their uh, partner, that their marriage partner, has been unfaithful and has committed adultery. They have committed a breach of faith. In other words, they have broken, they have ruptured the covenant by their unfaithfulness. That is the kind of category that is being talked about here. It's the same word that is used at the end of Chronicles uh, to explain why the people of Israel were brought into judgment. At the end of uh, chapter 36, it says, all the officers of the priests and the people likewise uh, uh, were uh, exceedingly unfaithful. They were exceedingly unfaithful. In other words, they breached faith with the Lord, following all the abominations of the Lord, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. Why did God bring judgment on them? The book of Chronicles is saying because they breached faith. They broke covenant. And so God's judgment uh, was just and right. So here, uh, it is describing an unintentional sin, uh, but an unintentional sin that is serious because it is a, a breach of loyalty to the Lord. It is further explained as a, a breach of faith in any of the holy things of the Lord. The holy things could refer to anything that belongs to the Lord's property, his tabernacle, uh, the priest's garments, uh, the utensils in the tabernacle. But oftentimes in Leviticus, the holy things refers to the meat portions of the sacrifices. In other words, a likely scenario where this could take place is when a worshiper comes with their sacrifice 
and inadvertently takes the wrong portion of the meat. And as a result, they have offended God by violating his commands, uh, by disregarding his instructions. And we can appreciate that when something is done uh, against us, we take it personally. Again, you young people, imagine if you have a sibling, a brother or a sister, imagine if your brother or your sister comes and takes your toy, or they come and they take your article of clothing, uh, but they didn't ask you. They just took your toy and they were playing with your toy. And then something happens and your toy breaks. It was a mistake that it broke. But at the same time, when you discover that that toy was broken by them uh, playing with it, you may feel upset because they didn't come to ask you first. Or you may be upset that they didn't think about you and your wishes before playing with it. If they didn't know if you were going to be okay with it, uh, then you would yourself uh, probably be uh, feeling offended that they didn't care enough to come and talk to you first. Here, God is saying when the people disobey his commandments, it is a dishonor to him that they failed to, to follow through in his instructions. And so in that way, it is uh, a sin that they are accountable for. So this is something that they might do unintentionally, and yet uh, as a result, uh, they provoke the Lord uh, by dishonoring his commands. Another scenario is described in verse 17. It says, if anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then he realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. How can someone commit a sin and not know it and then later realize it? Different suggestions have been proposed. Uh, one is, is that perhaps in God's providence, they come to that conclusion. Um, while the Bible is very careful uh, not to suggest that uh, bad experiences are a sign of God's anger or God's judgment, we do find in the Old Testament that prolonged occasions of hardship did cause people to contemplate and to seek the Lord to know if this was an act of God's judgment against them. You remember in 2 Samuel when David himself, after three years of famine, sought the Lord about the famine, and the Lord revealed that it was an act of judgment that was coming upon the land because of Saul. Uh, so there can be occasions when God, through providential means, was showing people uh, something in their life that they had left hidden. But perhaps the most plain way would be for someone to confront them uh, about their sin. They did something wrong and they did not recognize it. And then someone confronts them about it. And now they have to realize uh, through either reflection or through confrontation, their own, uh, their own wrongdoing. And here uh, it highlights how they are to respond. Uh, a person uh, is, uh, whether by the uh, leading of another individual or by their own conviction, uh, they have come to find, uh, they have to find a way to find pardon. So the problem is through unintentional sins. But we also see the problem described in terms of intentional sins. 
Again, in chapter 6, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, in any of all the things that people do and sins thereby. These are all different ways in verses 2 and 3 in which a person can sin against their neighbor. Five different examples uh, regarding a deposit, regarding a security, regarding robbing their neighbor by force, by oppressing their neighbor, uh, manipulating them uh, to think certain things, or by lying about their property. All of these things are acts of taking advantage of their neighbor. But they're all described as acts of disloyalty against God. They are all described as something deeply offensive, a breach of faith, something that is ultimately an attack on God himself. The word there for neighbor is a word uh, describing a close relationship. It, It refers to someone that you're in covenant with, or it is used elsewhere as a parallel for one's brother. And when we step back and we think about what it's describing here, in a day and an age before forensic science, in a day and age before there's video surveillance, a person's word is so key for relationships. A person's word is something that everyone depends on to know the truth. But if a person is using their words to oppress their neighbor, and there's no way of microchipping that livestock to know whose animal it is. There's no way to be able to verify uh, what actually happened by video surveillance. A person's words could be an attack on one's neighbor. And here it is highlighting that such an action is desperately wicked. It is a wicked act uh, that is displeasing in God's sight. And so uh, here it it is highlighting One can breach faith with God in the way that one treats one's neighbor. That could be a corrective for many of us today. Uh, Because when we think about sin, we may default to thinking about sin as something respecting my personal relationship with God. Whereas, Especially here, we're seeing that sin is not just vertical between how I worship God, how I approach God, but sin is also something that is worked out in the way that I'm treating my neighbor. And here, Leviticus is accenting that the social impact of sin is also a breach of one's loyalty to God. Jeffrey Harper explains it this way. One's personal, uh, he says, in the West, one's personal relationship with God is viewed as being of primary importance and even sometimes as the only thing that is important. It's just about my relationship with God. Whereas Leviticus is saying, but how are we treating our neighbor? Uh, That is uh, vital as well. So why is it that there's this offering needed? Why do they need to offer a guilt offering? Because they're guilty of breaching faith with God, of breaking covenant with God, of of disrespecting the holy things and doing what ought not to be done. Uh, And that is done both unintentionally when they don't follow through on God's commands, 
but also when they willfully uh, do something against their neighbor that causes them to harm. We won't sin in the same way as the people did here, uh, perhaps. Uh, we don't have to offer up these offerings like the, uh, the people did in the time of Leviticus. But what we do come to the same realization is when we sin against the honor of God uh, and what belongs to God, we are desiring all the consequences of breaking covenant. That what Leviticus is emphasizing is, is that these breaches of faith warrant God's judgment. That these breaches of faith are serious and therefore God's offense needs to be appeased. But Leviticus here, this offering is also teaching us the payment in order to satisfy uh, God's uh, wrath. The, the payment that makes amends, uh, that makes things right. The offering here taught that payment was necessary in order to satisfy the justice of God and to make payment for the wrong that was committed. The purification offering, it was an offering that a person could offer no matter how rich or how poor they were. They could offer an offering dependent on their own financial situation. And so what that was teaching the people is no matter who you are in society, you can come acknowledging your sins and know there's cleansing, that we can all be made clean. But you notice here that in the guilt offering, it is much more specific. There is only one kind of offering that is to be given, a male ram. It is the only kind that will atone. It is the blood of the male ram sacrifice that God commands in these verses. More than that, uh, this would have been a much more costly sacrifice, uh, teaching the people uh, about the costliness of sin. But here the offering uh, is always the same, a male ram. And a male ram uh, along with uh, the added fifth for the wrongdoing. So if a person betrayed their neighbor's trust, if they, they, they took one of their cattle, now they have to not only offer up a male ram as atonement for their wrongdoing, but they have to give 120% to their neighbor for what they have done wrong. Uh, it's a costly atonement, uh, a, a costly penalty uh, that is being described here. And while it may describe, uh, a, a seem like a very costly uh, penalty, it's actually, it's actually much less severe than other penalties in the book of Moses. Uh, where, for instance, in Exodus, it teaches that if a person steals a person's ox, uh, that they would have to give back fivefold, uh, which highlights the harshness of the law, uh, that it would have been much more severe. The reason for the difference seems to be that here it is encouraging the guilty to come forward of their own accord, so that through the payment of the wrongdoing, uh, they would have atonement and uh, have their sins forgiven. So here, the 120% is more of a, an encouragement for the wrongdoer to take the steps themselves. But all of this picturing guilt and the payment to make amends is really anticipating 
the atonement that Christ himself would bring. Uh, we keep saying it in Leviticus. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sins of the world. But it was meant to picture the one who could. Leviticus is teaching us of what the Lord Jesus himself came to do. And when you slow down and you begin to read what Leviticus is doing, it's teaching us the gospel. That our sin offends a holy God. That God is right to punish sin. That his honor must be maintained. And that a payment must be given in order to make amends. But the amends is according to God's dictates. It is only the sacrifice that God himself sets up. The sacrifice that God himself sets up is defined by three characteristics. It is a male ram without blemish. That is the only thing that God will accept. Its valuation is determined not by human standards, but according to the shekel of the sanctuary. It's according to God's standards. It is without blemish. It is perfect. It is God's choosing. And that, that sacrifice will be deemed pleasing in God's sight. It will be satisfying to God. And so the people were to understand they are guilty. But there is a payment that can atone for their wrongdoing. There is a payment that can make things right. And then you fast forward and you come to the, the prophecy of Isaiah. And in Isaiah, Isaiah starts talking about the coming servant of the Lord. And when you get there, if you turn to Isaiah 53, Isaiah uh, makes this point uh, in Isaiah 53 at verse 10. He says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, that's the exact same word that Leviticus was using to talk about the offering for their guilt. But Isaiah is describing a person. A person is going to come who is going to satisfy the requirements of God. He is going to pay the price in order to cover the people's sins so that God's justice is satisfied and they can be forgiven. So when Jesus comes into this world and Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a, what does he say? A ransom. As a payment. Jesus said, I came to give my life as a payment for sin. A payment to appease the justice of God in order that the people might be forgiven of their wrongdoing. When we read in 1 Peter, and Peter talks about how they have been uh, ransomed uh, from their sins, he described it that you have been ransomed not by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. Jesus died in your place in order to pay for your sins. But then Peter says, by the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish. Why does Peter add that? It's because he wants people to know that Jesus is the reparation offering. He is the payment for sin, just as God was teaching the people. There is one who pays the cost of sin so that we can be reconciled with God, so that we can know our sins are forgiven 
so that we can see how God's honor is maintained, his justice is defended, while also his mercy is extended towards sinners. So we were looking there in Psalm 85, it's the idea of righteousness and peace embracing, and that comes together in Jesus Christ. He is the only sacrifice appointed to compensate for sin, the specific one, a male ram without blemish. He is the one of God's standard. Uh, This is my son with whom I am well pleased, and he therefore makes satisfaction. So there is the problem of our guilt. It warrants God's judgment. It is a breach of faith. It is something that is a mockery of what is uh, set apart as holy. Uh, It ruptures uh, that relationship. But the payment is what brings about atonement and the forgiveness of sins. But then finally, there is uh, the purpose that is spelled out. In verse 16 of of chapter 5, he says, He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. There is a chain of events that are being described in this guilt offering. A person has sinned. But then secondly, that sin went hidden, but it was not hidden from God. Thirdly, God brings that person to a conviction of their sin. Fourthly, the offender confesses their wrongdoing, something that is made explicit in the book of Numbers. Fifth, repayment is made uh, where possible. And sixth, 20% is added to demonstrate genuine repentance. And then seventh, the perfect ram is presented to God and the ram is slaughtered and forgiveness is secured. Genuine repentance involves a sincere attempt to right the wrongs that one has done. If we value restoration with God, then we should also value restoration with our neighbor. That's what Jesus taught, isn't it? When you go to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that if you go to worship and at the altar you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering and go and be reconciled with your brother. And then come and present your sacrifice. That there is this relationship of recognizing when we have sinned against others, we want to be restored. We want to make things right. The reparation offering was for sins committed by mistake or on purpose and remained hidden. But God did not let them remain hidden. That's part of God's grace. Um, Conviction over sin can be something that we're thankful for when we come to that place. Because God is not leaving us idle. It might be our tendency to just let things be. Uh, If there's no disturbance, just leave it alone. But God sends the Spirit to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And when God convicts a person of their sins, it's to drive them to see their need of atonement. The people in the Old Testament were learning that our sins make us guilty and there must be atonement through sacrifice, a specific sacrifice that God himself has chosen and with whom God is satisfied. And we stand on this side of the cross recognizing My sins have made me guilty. But there is a specific sacrifice 
that God has chosen in whom he is satisfied for forgiveness of sins. Do you recognize that you're guilty before God? And have you come to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? That's what this offering is teaching the people. Guilty, but pardoned. That's God's grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about this offering, that we would see how it searches us, and even how we can live uh, with sins that are hidden from our own uh, eyesight. And yet when these things are brought to our mind, uh, they uh, do not devastate, but they draw us ultimately to look to the provided sacrifice in the Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would see uh, how sin uh, is an offense to your glory, how our actions towards others uh, is ultimately a reflection of our devotion to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to look to Christ uh, for the forgiveness of sins. So go before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.